0: I'm kind of lucky now that I've achieved a higher level of freedom in my life at 44 than most people will ever really achieve in their lifetime. But when you talk about luck, I think luck can also be labor under correct knowledge. You can do things to engineer luck, if that makes sense.
1: This is Ezra Firestone from smartmarketer.com, and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on the Productive Insights Podcast Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn
0: how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.productiveinsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash
1: Roy. Hello there. This is Ash Roy, the founder of ProductiveInsights.com with a quick message for you. If you'd like to grow your business profitably and fast, head over to getmetodone.com where you can learn more about the Productive Insights membership program, which is designed to help you grow your business profitably and fast. We help you get clear on your target audience and create an irresistible offer around the specific problem that you solve for your audience. Once we've established an offer that's a good fit for your audience, We then help you to scale your business using marketing automation, which means you spend less time working and more time enjoying the fruits of your labor. If you'd like to learn more, head over to getmetodone.com right now and take that first step towards your business success and your time freedom. I hope you enjoy this episode and get a ton of value from it. I look forward to seeing you at getmetodone.com. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast. This is Ash Roy, your host, and today's guest is Greg Kassar. Greg Kassar started selling online in 2003 after he left his full-time role in 2009, which was in IT in the corporate world. He left to run his own digital marketing agency, which specialized in traffic and conversion. Greg has invested over $250,000 in his education, has worked with 300 businesses and driven over 2 million leads. He's responsible for over $500 million in online sales and has worked with some online marketing greats who have previously been on this podcast, including Ryan Dice in episode 170 and Ezra Firestone in episode 55. Greg is a master at performing split tests and has recently been doing a lot of work in the e-commerce space. So Greg has some great knowledge to share with us in terms of the various business models out there and what really lends itself to creating a life of freedom. So I'm delighted to welcome Greg Kassar from collective.com.au. Welcome, Greg. Hey, Ash. Thank you very much for having me. It's a real pleasure.
0: We've known each other for many years. I've always found you to be a stand-up guy. Uh, I, I was talking to another guy today, Guy Som, and he said, Ash, he always comes from just such a place of giving. So I think that's uh, a true compliment that you know people talk about you like that. So it's awesome what you're doing with the group here.
1: That's very kind, Greg. Thank you very much. And I was going to say that I've known you for about five years, and I can honestly say it's always been a pleasure. You're a very down-to-earth person and very approachable and very honest. So thank you you're very welcome. So Greg what we're going to talk about today is the different business models particularly in the context of what we've seen happening of late which is a little bit of a tectonic shift if you like. Amazon seems to have come to the fore and as Mike Rhodes said to me once he talked about the four horsemen of the apocalypse and that was Amazon, Apple, Google and Facebook. Facebook. And we're now seeing some sort of a maybe not a resurgence but a a progression of Amazon. There's a bit of a groundswell happening around that. And Greg, you were saying to me just before we started recording that by 9am in the mornings, you are pretty much free of all your commitments that you have to fulfill in order to be financially free every day. So clearly the e-commerce thing has been serving you very well. You have recently talked about how you've built million dollar business within 12 months in annual revenue when I saw you speak at Superfast Business Live, which was hosted by our common friend, James Schramko. So let's start the conversation there. And why don't you tell us about how you see e-commerce evolving now and where do you see yourself in two years and how that's played a role in your journey so far?
0: Okay, cool. Well, there's a couple of questions there. So I unpack that a little bit. One of the things like most people get into business as a way of creating, you know, a, a lifestyle. But I think ultimately, most people actually really seek freedom, whether that's the freedom of choice of who to hang out with the freedom of where to live the freedom, of what to work on, you know, that kind of thing. I'm kind of lucky now that I've achieved a higher level of freedom in my life at 44 than most people will ever really achieve in their lifetime. But when you talk about luck, I think luck can also be labor under correct knowledge. You can do things to engineer luck, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, like you mentioned, I've spent over $250,000 and I've been at it since 2003. So I'm like one of those guys where uh, he got lucky, but I'm a 15-year overnight success or 16-year overnight success, that kind of thing.
1: You know, Greg, I interviewed John McGrath, the founder of McGraw Real Estate. I think it yeah. was in episode 122. And he actually said... You know, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. That is so well said.
0: Yeah, it's very true. Very true. John, very, very smart guy, obviously, with yes. what he's built. So during that time, like we, I was in corporate IT, then got into, got out of that by running an agency, as you, as you discussed. So, because I was selling stuff online and getting good success. My first business was propertybooks.com.au. So I was selling books and courses about investment property, that kind of thing. Um, and then we, my business partner at the time, John and I, we did an exit there and we sold that. But I had a lot of business owners saying, hey, could you help me with that? And so that's why we started, I morphed off into you know, running an agency. Ran an agency for many years and learned a lot. What was great about that was the speed learning of like working in so many different businesses. So that was awesome. Then morphed into more of a coaching role. And then now we do a model called Rainmaker Partner where we partner with hero businesses and scale them up exponentially and just take a small piece of the game. That's kind of what we've been doing but you spoke about business models and what we found is that there's you know business really comes down to a couple main types of models mm-hmm. there's like a services business yeah and there's a information business mm-hmm. there's physical products so e-com amazon and then there's software as a service and there's also local as well and what yeah. we found is like the further you head towards one way the more freedom you can create so because right. really it all comes down to really it all comes down to leverage so a local business probably has the worst freedom like the lowest level of freedom maybe worst yeah. is not the correct you know the correct word yeah. the lowest level of freedom then a services business really is the second worst as far as like level of freedom because it doesn't matter what you do in a local business or in a services business you can go above and beyond but you can't keep everyone happy all the time and also the reality is that sometimes you're limited by things like geography and stuff you don't have as much leverage or it might be about your own time or your team's time but there's not as much leverage and leverage really is the key info business is incredible from a product point of view you can you might be able to build it once and sell it over and over again without having to redo that product obviously certain times you know things change in the industry and you have to keep doing that so info can be amazing but you've got to have something special something different you know otherwise there's a lot of people selling info, and the price of info you know, can be going down. That kind of thing. So an example might be you sell certification with your info, or micro continuity also works well. Like where it's a an annual program, but you you can get the price of the annual for just a cost of a couple of months. There's different ways of making info
1: work. And there's just one more question, though, yeah, Greg, yeah. Greg. Just with the info products, though, you can also have products where you sell them as one-off in the form of say courses. Or you can have a membership site, which I just recently launched, yes. and that may have a continuity element in there, where you may supplement the information with some form of coaching or support for which people awesome. pay an ongoing fee.
0: Yeah, that that is a very good model. Whenever you can build that continuity that you spoke about, Ash, in that's you know that, that's gold. And then there's e-commerce and Amazon. So I'd put Amazon in with that. Amazon really just is another type of e-commerce, but it's the biggest portal. Like if you look in the US, 51% of all online sales happen on Amazon.com. So it's a it's just basically when you get that right, it's like drinking from a fire hose. It really is incredible. And then the best business model at all of all I find is SaaS. So software as a service, because mm-hmm. there's that saying that, you know, software is eating the world. If you can build a software as a service and then have your customers be using this your service and they're dependent on it, and the the software is then doing the delivery. Remember, like we spoke about the local business. Or the services business that's you doing the delivery or your team you can have software that's obviously very leveraged bits and bytes so info product and like you said membership as well as e-commerce amazon and SaaS. SaaS is ultimately the ultimate one those business models really can create a yeah greater level of freedom so yeah. the further
1: i've moved towards the right
0: yeah that the more freedom that i've had in my life
1: And software as a service is also a continuity play because, you know, you pay a recurring fee for the software. And some great examples of continuity, both in information or entertainment, I should say, is classic example, Netflix. And we saw in Apple's recent announcement, three out of their four products they announced were continuity products. You know, Apple News Plus, Apple TV Plus, and I can't remember the other two. But software as a service typically follows that continuity model. In fact, Neil Patel, who I interviewed in the very first episode of this podcast, talked a little bit about that. And then I had Heath Shah, I think it was episode 44, who talked about software as a service. And he's actually very good at that. In fact, he might be coming back on the show again. We're going to talk about his billion dollar mistake at some point in the future. <laughs> he wrote a great article about it, which I recommend checking out. I'll link to that in the show notes. So, so we've talked about The different levels of freedom, you've got your local business where you're exchanging time for money predominantly, then you've got your services based business where you're probably a little bit more at the premium end of the scale, but you're still kind of exchanging time for money. Then you've got your information products business, which you can distribute or deliver as a transactional sale where you sell a course or something, or you can have a continuity play where you sell a course, but then you offer some kind of ongoing recurring value. I remember Stu McLaren told me this. You can charge an ongoing recurring fee as long as you're offering ongoing recurring value. And so that's where the coaching aspect comes into a membership form. And then you've got the software as a service and the e-commerce style business which is pretty much set and forget, provided you create the framework. Now, there is one challenge with software as a service. I've seen this happen a lot, where you really have to make it to crack it, to make awesome software. You know, one out of every hundred software creators end up making it. But then once you make it, you've really made it. It's a little bit like being a rock star. Can you talk to us about that? It is getting easier now with,
0: like previously, if you were developing a software as a service, you where Your first money had to go into hosting and servers and all that kind of stuff. Whereas these days, there's amazing technologies like Amazon Web Services, where they really do have a whole bunch of services and you can just bolt them on and then use whatever you need. But right. I think, you know, to do that software as a service, you really do need a little bit of the tech founder. You need to be able to understand the technical side yes. as well as the sales marketing business founder. That's why like a lot of venture capital firms want two founders involved. I'm lucky I'm doing a software as a service play now we're working on in early stages but i'm i'm lucky in that i've got a technical background and i'm a business and marketing type person but software as a service is amazing Ecom also but it, like you say it does have that constraint if you really do need to understand that technical issues ecom also has a downside and a constraint which is that as you grow you continue to have to invest in stock, so every time you get bigger inventory, you have to invest in more and more stock. So you can actually grow yourself broke with, e- you know, with e-commerce as well. So that's yes. where you get into smart financing and all that kind of stuff. So e-com creates an amazing level of freedom, but especially during that growth stage, you've just got to make sure you have enough cash to keep going. Yes. That can be the only constraint with that.
1: And that's right. You've got to. Growth has to be controlled and has to be done in a disciplined manner. Otherwise, the wheels can fall off and you may not even know it. Ezra Firestone did a great job. He grew from, I think, five to 25 million in 12 months, but I'm sure there was a lot of really disciplined monitoring of stock and inventory levels and cost of goods sold. I'm putting my accounting yeah. hat on for a second here. But <laughs> there was a lot of, obviously, discipline and rigor that would have gone into understanding the cash flow within the model.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and also that um, having multiple models complementing each other. So like Ezra, he was my e-commerce coach for a year. Very smart dude. He's got like software as a service. He's also got info product. You know that kind of stuff. So sometimes multiple of those things could be might be funding the growth, and while Uh, the e-com. But the good thing about building an e-com or a SaaS as well is that. It's not just really the day-to-day running of it. You're actually building a saleable asset. So sometimes in some ways, the most profitable thing can be at the end when you build to a big exit.
1: Yes, yes. And I remember talking to Jeff Green about exits. It's very important to build a business which is saleable, even if you don't plan to sell it. Because when you build a business which can stand on its own without you as a founder, then it's more likely to have better quality systems and it's going to be easier to replicate within other areas in the globe. So if you have a yes, an operation in, in Australia, you can potentially replicate it more easily in America well, if you have good quality systems and a good model. Agreed. Well, like we were talking about with the e-com stuff, we start actually
0: started with my part, business partners and I, we started with the US in that case, even though I'm an Aussie, just because it's 10 times the bigger market. So is right. it? Seeing about leverage with that, sometimes the same marketing effort, but applied to a different business model or applied to a different market can get you a different result. So because one of the things I learned from Russell Brunson was like, once you get on a winner, sort of take the show on the road, roll it out into other regions, whereas everyone always thinks I've got to find another winner. But sometimes you don't like we've got winners in the e-com space that we've now rolled out, you know, through the US and then Canada and Mexico and all of Europe and Japan and Australia you know what I mean that kind of thing rather we still are adding new products in hopefully trying to find more new winners but just take those winners and roll them out around the globe because that's what's exciting you know if you think back traditional business you set up a market stall or whatever and your customers were whoever went past that day yeah. whereas these days it literally you can hit the whole globe it's an incredible time to be alive and it's an incredible time to be an entrepreneur I think
1: so you've touched on something that would be very useful to my listeners, I think, and that is how to replicate success, particularly around marketing and sales, from one discipline or one business model to another. Can you talk to us a little bit about that to achieve the success that you have in the recent past?
0: yeah, so I guess okay, so I really my background was a lot of services business, and in particular the like with the agency and stuff. but what I loved about that was speed dating, so I got to by being an, an agency or by being a coach, I got to work in software as a service and I got to work on Amazons and I got to work. And I'm the sort of guy that's like, can you help me with this? I'd look at it and figure it out. And even if I've never done it before, I'm like, yeah, yeah, we can make that work. And then, you know, just scramble like crazy to, to make it work. So that was I kind of lucky in that I got to learn by working on other people's businesses. And then that whole success leaves clues. After a while you start to see these traits come through, you know, of what, were successful business models or successful founders or CEOs, you know, that kind of stuff. And it was out of that that I really then started to work on, well, okay, getting more e com going. So I wanted, what I found was that the average multimillionaire has multiple income streams. You know, the worst number right. in business is, yeah, the worst number in business is one because <laughs> okay. one if one thing falls over, then, you know, you lose a whole lot. So that's where I always try to build like a three or four-legged stool. You mm-hmm. can have this issue of energy units where, you're just not giving anything enough energy to smash it out of the park. So there's definitely a, a balancing act, but generally it's good to have a couple of income streams. So if this one brought in ten grand a month, and that one brought in five grand a month, and that one brought in five grand a month in this hypothetical situation. You know, you're at twenty, and if one of those five grands all of a sudden dropped it away for you know Google change the rules or Facebook did or whatever, then you've gone from twenty down to fifteen. You know, rather than you know, lose everything, that that kind of stuff. So that's why I have enjoyed having a little bit of e-com and a little bit of SaaS. And traditionally I've done a lot of services, but I'm probably not going to really do that much in the way of um services moving forward, to be honest. Just not as leveraged as I want. I think everything from this point on will either be info, e com or SaaS. And then the other part of it is like taking business owners, taking the money out of business and then focusing on investing. Because I think a lot of business owners are guilty of just you know, running the day to day of the business, but then not really thinking about, well, actually, I need to be able to retire, say, when I'm 65, 70, whatever the case is, have I built a big enough golden goose, that I'm going to then be able to live off the eggs of it without having to kill the goose, which is a different discussion altogether. But um, yeah, so I think after a while learning investing as well, as a business owner, it's kind of like the next evolution that you need to be able to do.
1: And that sort of ties into the idea that you want to build a business that you can sell, and not yeah. just sell, you know, for break even, you want to build a business that it can sell that enable you to retire. So yeah. it closes the loop in a sense, We're talking about building something that is an asset. That's what I was yes. looking for, building a business yeah. that is an asset.
0: You can have it all too, Ash, like I feel that you can have freedom, like you can build a, a freedom and a lifestyle business, but also build something that can, that can be sold Certainly like what we're, we're doing, we're doing now, but I do get it. Like, so as far as there'd be people listening who are earlier on in their journey, say they're still in the day job and they're trying to get out of it, or they've just got out of the day job. And you know, at that point, you're really at the grind. You really just got to keep learning as fast as you can implementing like crazy, you know, that kind of thing. So this, like what we're talking about, about creating freedom and investing that what's left and all that kind of stuff might seem like it's a long way down the track, but it's good to know that that's possible. But initially, you've just really got to scramble like crazy because one thing is, no one's going to do it for you. So you know, yes. like how I said, I'm a 15 year overnight success. Yes. heaps of people started at the same time as me, but most of them will quit. Really, I think that resilience. Like I actually don't think there's there's not really that much special about me. Like, um, don't get me wrong, I'm not a I'm not a dummy, but I'm not. I wasn't the ducks of the class or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? But what was what was special about me was. I was willing to outwork the other guy. I was a yep. girl. I was willing to out hustle, out learn. When everyone else stopped learning, I kept going, I kept going. And then when life kicked me in the guts, I just got up one more time after life, life kicked yeah. me in the guts and just kept going and going and going. So that resilience and also that ability to say, hang on, this isn't working. We need to pivot. You know, what's yeah. next? And I think next is one of the most important words in business. Do you know what I mean? Because okay. if you're on a, yeah, a business model – and it just doesn't have the right level of leverage, you know what I mean, then you might need to say, next. And because I found actually in your life as an entrepreneur, you might start off with a certain business model and then after a while you realize, you say you listen to something like this and then you realize, hang on a second, this doesn't really have much leverage. It's not really going to be a sellable asset. It's not getting me where I want to go. Keep doing it, right? But think about what is next and what is a smarter business model that I can move to. And like over our time from the day job to now, we've like done those, you know four or five of those main pivots and it's about constantly moving to a a better smarter more leveraged business model so that you can create that freedom you can have you know ultimately build that golden goose as well
1: cool so let's talk about some really important takeaways from this conversation that our listeners can implement and actually get some results if they're looking to build a lifestyle. We touched on the different kinds of businesses and we talked about the business that affords you the least freedom, which is your local business where you're typically exchanging time for money. And then we talked about the services-based businesses and The next progression, and then you've got your information businesses, which can be either recurring income based where you're offering some kind of coaching to supplement that information or a transactional information business where you're selling courses, that kind of thing. And then we talked about software as a service and e-commerce where you're building an asset that pretty much sells itself or delivers a, a result without almost any intervention from you. And it's becoming increasingly easy these days with Amazon servers and so on. You also talked about the importance of having multiple income streams from all the people that you've worked with, and you've worked with many of them. The ones that have been the most successful have been able to kind of diversify their time and financial investments, but not do it to the point where they are too diluted, but equally do it so that if one business is suffering then the successful business can kind of shore up that suffering business at least for a period of time but then also knowing when to cut your losses and to say okay this is not working and pivot away from that you also talked about the importance of persistence and spending your time in the trenches and we've seen all sorts of successful people do that including steve jobs who had his second act after he was sacked from apple yeah and, and When he became the CEO of Next and Next, did a reverse acquisition of Apple. And that's how he ended up becoming the CEO of Apple again, which may never, ever happen again. But the point is he spent years and years and years in the wilderness. So you have to be willing to do that. Maybe you'll be lucky and you won't have to do it, but be prepared for it. And then you also said something really valuable, I thought, which was keep asking yourself What's next? That's an important question to ask. So that orients you a bit to the future and stops you from being myopically focused on the here and now. Yes, you need to be focused on the present, but you also need to be aware of the landscape and what's coming in the future. And another important question to ask is, am I single point sensitive? And the way you expressed that was you said one of the worst words in businesses is the word one. So, you know, one customer, one supplier, one business model Those things, in your experience, can be quite limiting and can be the kiss of death.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that was a great, great summary.
1: Cool. All right. So that was a great episode. Now, how do our listeners find out more about you, Greg? Is there anything else you'd like to add in this conversation? I mean, I look forward to having you back on again soon, where we'll be talking about more tactical stuff around e-commerce. Uh, But what would you like to talk about in terms of strategy? What advice can you give our listeners?
0: Yeah, so your first question was like, where can people find uh, more info? I think if you go to rainmakerpartner.io, that's like our main um, website, that has a a blog on there. So between that and the collective.com.au blog, there's video training that goes on and on for, yeah, there's a lot of time you could spend there. That's just a, a great free training resource. I don't really have anything to, um, I don't really have anything to sell these days, you know, like as far as what I'm, yeah, what I'm doing. The other thing really is is advertisingboost.com, which is soon to be called marketingboost.com. That's where we give away free vacation incentives for business owners. That's really going nuts. That's kind of like the main ways to find us. I think, you know, what you summarized was just awesome. I think when it comes down to from a business owner, and entrepreneurial journey, it's basically like, you know, where am I now? where do I want to go? And then is it worth it? And so like, what's my why as to what I want to do? And the why has to be greater than you. Like, so initially it might be about money and that kind of thing, but after a while you get to like a greater purpose. So like, for example, we do philanthropy and fund a school in India and all that kind of stuff. So there has to be a bigger, you know, a bigger why after a while. And like hundred percent of people want success maybe only 3% are willing to do what it takes to get there. So yeah. you got to think about like are you willing to do what it takes and when yeah it's going to get tough at times but if you keep picking yourself up the ultimate prize is freedom. And like what's the yeah what's the value on that? Like um so I think yeah go for it.
1: Yeah. Todd Herman talked about the importance of having a greater why in episode 176. Either he talked about it on the episode or in his book, which I highly recommend. It's called The Alter Ego Effect. And I found it very useful, particularly if you are struggling through that wilderness period, you know, to be able to give yourself this alter ego, which you can kind of step into and not feel seduced or affected by what appears to be a failure. You know, you can keep positioning yourself as the superhero in your mind without being deluded about it and actually really activate your inner superhero to push past those really, really challenging times. And there will be many. Yeah, I love
0: that. That's great.
1: Okay. Well, thank you very much for being on the episode, Greg. And I can't wait to have you back where we'll be talking about more detailed, actionable secrets around building an e-commerce business that delivers epic results.
0: Awesome. Thank you for having me. Much appreciate that. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comments section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash
1: help you today?